So that voice you're hearing is the voice of Edmund Mitchell. Edmund is an online content creator. You might have heard of him from a podcast called The Show with Edmund Mitchell. Edmund does a lot of things for evangelization. He's a director of evangelization for a parish down in Grapevine, Texas. And he does so many different things with online media to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Edmund's really been a big inspiration to me in starting this podcast. On a previous episode, I talked about how there's a lot of people out there in the online evangelization world really inspiring me, and I said I wanted to add to it. Well, Edmund is one of those people who inspired me. The other day, he did a little Instagram Q&A, and I submitted a question. I said, hey, I'm launching a podcast. Do you want to come on and join? Lucky enough, he said yes. So today on the show, we have an interview with Edmund Mitchell. Let's dive into the show. Welcome on to the Nick Longo Show. Um, this is exciting. I'm pumped. I'm excited to be here. So in a previous episode i talked about my why and why i wanted to do this and i talked a lot about how basically i saw a lot of people in the catholic world who were inspiring me by doing stuff like this you being one of them and how i i wanted to add to that so it's really cool to have you on here to talk about this but i want to start off by hearing more of your story and basically you as a person and then also then leading into how did why podcasting why online media What's your deal with this stuff, man? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, let's see. I was born cradle Catholic, grew up uh, with my parents really involved in the church, and then really caught my faith through kind of like Jeff Caven, Scott Hahn, like really got on board with, um, you know, these Protestant converts to the Catholic church who really knew their Bible really, really well. And then, um, but also knew Jesus really well. And there was something about them that just, uh, I was like, man, I want what they have. And then went off to Georgia Tech because I thought I wanted to be a biomedical engineer. And through that kind of discerned, you know, as I was involved in ministries and stuff, I was like, man, I want to, I want to work for the church. Um, I want to work in ministry. I really had a strong desire to have a family. Um, I, I discerned the priesthood. I knew I didn't want to be a priest, but I just wanted to be involved in evangelization. And so then flash forward, I looked in the back of a Scott Hahn book and saw that he was teaching at Franciscan University. And so I literally called Franciscan University and said, 
I think I might want to be Scott Hahn. And they were like, that's not a career path. So I was like, all right, well, tell me more about what, you know, what other stuff you got going on. And they talked to me about um, catechetics and theology. And Franciscan was one of the only schools I could find that had a program where you could major in catechetics, right? Theology is a study of God, but catechetics is a study of how to help God transmit the faith to other people. Right. So I ended up going there and then getting into youth ministry. And I don't know, I've always been, you know, like a lot of people my age, my, my parents told me I could do anything. And my parents gave me lots of attention growing up. So I think uh, somewhere along the lines, you know, I've, I've always kind of been a performer, I guess, or always been like, enjoy. I mean, who doesn't like having a microphone or being, yeah, you know, so always kind of been interested in that for better or for worse. And then um, in ministry, you know, like you have to talk to people, you have to talk to in small groups or talk to parents or talk to a crowd. And so I just always enjoyed that and really enjoyed the, the format of podcasting. Um, I've been a huge fan and listened to a lot of podcasts um, for a long time for years. And so like with a lot of these things, it's like I could teach myself how to do that. Let's do it. And for years now, just making stuff on the internet, you know, for people making stuff for people that I care about um, has just been part of my life on the side, like in my spare time, but my heart really is in parish ministry. And so I'm at a parish I've been at now for five or so years, uh, probably six and uh, moved up to adult ministry. And now I'm over the department of evangelization. We have a team, high school youth minister, middle school youth minister, K through six coordinator and an RCIA coordinator. And I work primarily with adults, but I'm also helping with the team and helping uh, come up with a pastoral plan and, and strategy for evangelization at our parish. So that's really where my heart is. Like, I really, really want to be in parish ministry uh, for as long as I can. And I think at the parish is where real, like, renewal in the church can happen, you know, at the parish level. That's awesome. That's something I wanted to talk about because I feel like a lot of people who do this type of stuff are doing it because they want to do this full time, all the time, forever. And yeah. especially in ministry, when it's about evangelization, I see a lot of people in youth ministry or evangelization efforts who are at parishes or dioceses and they're trying to just do their own thing. You yeah. are unique in the way that you've always said this. It's been very consistent as I've followed you. You've always said, I want to stay in the parish for as long as possible. And that's been really cool and inspiring. Like, why have you come to that conclusion? Man, I mean, there's a few things. Um, one was like throughout college and discerning where God was calling me to. He was definitely calling me to be a missionary in a way, like to be a missionary and our family to be a missionary minded family. But I think in particular, I think it's just kind of where my gifts and talents kind of, I mean, we need holy real estate agents and politicians and doctors, right? And we need holy priests, but something about encouraging a parish to take up that call of evangelization has been, has been really a part of what I felt God calling me to. But the big thing is, yeah, I, I, I saw so many people. Well, I'll just say this. I have seen the most fruit from people that stay in one place. If we're talking about a culture change at a parish, I just had models of that in my life where I saw that like a real culture change comes from really committing to a place. It can't happen in a year. It has to happen 
like if you want, if you want to really help God change a culture where it's not around a personality, that takes years and years. That takes yeah. that takes a movement, right? It takes a, it takes decades. And so I knew that, and I, I don't know. I just always saw people moving, and I think it's fine that people move up out of parish ministry. Like that's okay if that's where God's right. calling you. But I just saw too many people where they get into parish ministry and then they they feel like they have to, gra- or not they feel like, but there's this pressure to like graduate up to something bigger. Yeah. And I don't know, man, I think we need people that really know what it's like on the ground. I think, I think, you know, I love that the church has Chris Stefanik and, and Matthew Kelly and all these people that are, you know, whoever like name, I'm just naming random people. Right. But like, man, we need really holy people to stay in a parish and actually know what it's like on the ground. Cause Scott Hahn doesn't work yeah. in a parish. He doesn't know what it's like to work in a, I mean, he knows a little bit, but like we need people long-term um, to be committed to a parish with their family. And so I don't know. I don't know if that totally answers your question, but that's, that's been uh-huh. it. I'm always nervous that I'm going to become irrelevant if I were to just go full-time into something else, into some other ministry. Yeah. Like you'd forget what it's like to yeah. not just set a fire, but to actually cultivate it and contain it and keep it going. Cause I feel like that's something that's an issue right now is so many people are just going to these speakers or these big conferences setting a fire but then how do we actually contain that and keep that alive totally and like i'm not the brightest person like i'm not the smartest person like i you know so when i think about what's where is my role in the church and trying to help the church i mean i know that the only really the only strength i can offer is being in parish ministry for a long time and that's going to come a long time from now right and there's something that man, no one can take that away from you. I mean, you, you know, you could have, people could write all the books in the world, but, but I want to talk to someone that's been at one parish for 20 years because regardless of what their philosophy is on ministry or their strategy or whatever, I mean, they've been there for 20 years. Like they, they know something that uh, I don't have yet. Right. Imagine the stories from that person. That'd be amazing. Right. Yeah. 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 And for better or for worse, man, if someone's is at a pl- in a place, right? You think of Father Mike Scanlon at Franciscan University, or you think of Mother Angelica with EWTN, or you think of, you know, like locally, like parish examples, like Kurt Clement is one nearby St. Anne's and Capel. Such a model for me. I mean, he's still in parish ministry. He's been at that parish for a long time and just like a, uh, you know, like in it for the long haul and really helping build something that's bigger than just his personality. Yeah. Totally. No, and I think it's cool because what is it right now? Like the national average for turnover rate and especially like in youth ministers is like two years, I think. And yeah, it's, it's either, it's, it's like either two years or 20 years kind of. That's what I joke. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. There's and no you know, in between. A, yeah. That's a danger too, right? Like you don't want to stay in ministry so, so long that you don't want to be irrelevant. You don't want to just be coasting. Right. Uh, so that's a danger. It's a tension, but so what's your, what's your position at your parish again? So I am the director of youth and young adult ministry there at the parish. And right now I've been kind of expanding out into different areas of evangelization. Like I just helped start a men's ministry in the parish. I just helped lead our parish Mm. mission for Advent um, with Doug Took, which was amazing. Um, And so the reason I think that's happening is my pastor's got a great vision, I think, in knowing that like right now, just the way that my ministry is, we have a, 140 kids in high school and we've got a hundred and about a hundred in middle school that I, that's my main focus. Um, Young adults, I do kind of a regional thing, 
But with that amount of young people in the youth programs, we have six volunteers for our core team in high school and Mm. three in middle school. And so my pastor, I think, has really been smart seeing that we need to start evangelizing the adults so that they have a conversion of heart and then they actually go on mission in you know, the field with the young people here with me. So yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. That's very, I think that's very wise. That's awesome that you have a pastor that's thinking that way. Yeah. He's, he's smart. And, um, I think, yeah, it's just been cool being able to expand my reach at the parish more than just youth ministry. Cause I think that's another thing that I think one of the reasons why turnover rate in parishes is so high, maybe Mm -hmm. is because youth ministers like, well, what's next? Well, we have to provide opportunities for growth and expansion, not to just like that you're spread too thin, but to grow a team as well around that, that grows the ministry of the parish. Yeah, I'm really passionate about like, if, if parishes are going to try to hire people that help a culture change, then yeah, you have to provide an, a work environment that allows them to be there for a long time. And I think, uh, you know, it always breaks my heart when people feel like they're doing the church a favor by making personal, you know, maybe professional sacrifices that I think are a little unjust, whether it's finances or time or, um, you know, having to work too far away from the parish and commute in, like all those things, you know, it's, I just hope for a world where parish workers can be um, in a good enough place to really stay at a parish for a long time. 100%. Yeah, I totally Totally agree. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So tell me about your parish with what you're doing as director of evangelization and catechesis. You said you have a team that you work with. Do you manage that team or kind of help direct them? What's what's that look like yeah, for yeah. your parish? Yeah, I'm tech, I'm technically the jefe. I'm I'm uh, <laughs> so that's been that's been fun. Um, yeah, and it's been cool like discerning that. Even you know it's hard. That was difficult transition for me just personally knowing you know, is that something, is that, is that a good place for me to, to move into? But I really, really enjoy that. I really, really enjoy working with the team and helping lead and helping serve even the team. Um, so yeah, so I'm helping come up with, I, we have a, we have a particular, I have a particularly strong point of view when it comes to how I think the church and the parishes should approach evangelization. And it's very much informed by a lot of the places I'm sure we're in the same groups and and circles of this kind of new evangelization this um you know the renewal of the catechumenal model and some of these things that people would probably i don't i don't know about your audience but who would be familiar with what but a lot of that so yeah it's help it's helping really over the last five years to try to shape that parish culture and vision in the direction of like we really need to make some drastic changes yeah tell me about that vision that you've kind of brought to St. Francis. Yeah. And like a lot of this is just, I mean, it's not my vision, like in the sense of um, it's just from a lot of reading a lot of the church documents and reading a lot of these books and listening to what ministry is, is going on. And so, um, you know, I really believe that I really believe that this is true, that the church teaches that, um, you know, God's mission uh, has a church. And so a parish is not just the building, but the parish boundary. And right. so God's mission for God's people has, uh, you know, it's the whole globe and the whole globe is split up, is split up into parish boundaries or into dioceses, right? And then the mission of God, now the bishop is in charge of the diocese and, and 
fulfilling the Great Commission in his diocese. So then he splits it up into parishes, parish boundaries, um, parish meaning to sojourn with, to journey with. So you have this parish boundary. So it's really weird. Like parish membership is really anyone that lives, that anyone that's breathing in your parish boundary is a member of your parish, right? But people don't think that way. People still think like, yeah, people still think like, uh, you know, this kind of like immigrant um, dynamic in New York, right? Where it's like, well, are you a member of the Irish Catholic church? Are you a member of the Baptist church? Right. It's like, no, no, no. We have a parish boundary. We have to reach everyone in our parish boundary. Um, so that's kind of the core is that our, our mission as a parish is to spread the gospel and spread Jesus to our entire parish boundary. And so in order to do that, we have to approach evangelization from that um, core belief. And so I really believe in the idea that churches have to establish a clear path of discipleship, um, a clear, it should be clear in the way it's structured. It should be clear in the moments of invitation. And we have to really start thinking, and this is not a new thing, you know, like Protestants are starting to get in on, on this too. And they have been for a while, like Andy Stanley, North Point, church is, you know, came out with a course all about pathways and thinking yeah. pathways instead of programs. Um, and so like, what's the next step for people, right? So uh, yeah, that's really what we've been working hard on is what would it look like if all of our ministries were structured around a clear path of discipleship and we um, communicate that or, or the language we use is we want everyone to encounter Jesus Christ, grow as a disciple, and then learn to serve him on mission. Um, yep that's kind of our clear path of discipleship that's influenced by the catechumenate model or catechumenal model and all of that. So, um, you know, it's not new stuff. It's stuff the church is teaching. It's there. It's just putting it all together and helping a parish really understand what that would look like in, in your specific city, you know? Right. So our whole thing is like, we want, we want to, we want to, um, Oh man, what is it that we came up with? Build. Our goal is to build a church of missionary disciples in grapevine, Texas. That's really our, our mission. So that's awesome. And I love the, the idea of thinking about pathways rather than programs because people show up at a church and there's two things that happen. Either they're like, well, what do I do? I'm here now. And that's really confusing. Or they come into the church and, Oh, I got to get my kid registered for X, Y, Z. And it just kind of becomes like this contract rather than like this encounter with God for a sacrament or whatever it is. Um, Yeah. And, and that provides more of a, this is a journey we're all on together. Yeah, it's so true, man. Like God reveals, I mean, just as like a, a catechetical principle, right? Like God reveals himself gradually and in stages. It's in all of the Old Testament. It's in the way he interacts with man. It's in the way he calls man closer to himself. So, so why, would, why wouldn't we structure our parishes in ways that people can recognize themselves on different stages and that we can always like call them deeper? Um, so yeah, there's all sorts of, you know, particularly American sometimes problems that we experience here in, in, in the United States, uh, of consumerism, this kind of like consumerist mentality. Like I just show up at the church and the church should have some program for me. Uh, and then also we're, I think we're still, this is something interesting that I'd like to hear your take on, but I really think that we've reached peak program. And I think we went through the last 10 or 20, 30 years where we were, we were going through this like, like renaissance of like Catholic programs. Yep. Cause it's like, wow, 
The Catholic Church could have a TV show? Wow, let's have a TV show. The Catholic Church could have a radio show? Wow, let's have a radio. We could be a publishing company and we could do videos and all that stuff. But we've reached like peak program. And now we don't need more programs. I mean, we have drone footage of Father Dave Pavanka walking through a desert. We don't need, like we've reached peak program. And so now it's like, and it's all free on formed and all this stuff. So now we really need context. We need to help people. How do you pick the right program for someone who's has one foot in the door and one foot out or one foot in the church and one foot out? How do we pick programs? How do we contextually accompany people on a path towards Jesus Christ? And ultimately not to just stay as a well-formed disciple, but to turn into a missionary disciple. Absolutely. And I think that's like my take on it is that I think the programs are, are fantastic and great. They help people in parishes save time. All the, like, it's amazing. But now they're plateauing. I, I think because now we're getting in this place of complacency where it's just plug and play. We're just going to do this, these four parts of a, of a life night or whatever. We're going to do these. Uh, we're going to put this little video in and play it and then discuss it but we've lost relationship there. Um, And I think there are some really great programs that are emphasizing building relationship as the center and the core of everything you do. Um, But yeah, that's, I mean, that's the context relationship is the context and we're we're losing that by just saying, well, we're just going to go through these, these, this exact thing over and over and over. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think we get really, it, 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 um, it like breeds this kind of insulation, right? Where it's like, okay, well, we're the believers. So let's go through another program to learn about how to defend ourselves against the non-believers or, or let's go through another program just, and being well-formed is very, very good. You know, we, we should be well-formed. We should always be growing. Um, but the church really needs to be challenged. And I think Pope Francis in Evangelii Gaudium, uh, that document in particular, man, I, I, uh, I'm not gonna lie, man, I got emotional when that came out reading it because it was just such a summary of the church's documents on evangelization, catechesis, and um, the missionary dimension of the church. Those three documents is like summarized in that. And this challenge of like, we can't, we got to be missionary. We have to, and that's really what's kind of missing on top of the personal relationship, the charisma, like that missionary dimension is so needed. Yeah, totally. Now I I totally agree with you with the, when I read, you know, joy of the gospel. I was just blown away. And I was like, this is awesome. And I wanted everything to happen like right now, like yeah. it's going to be a transformed church. Um, what's your take on that though? Of like, I feel like sometimes, and maybe this is just my perspective and my impatience, but like time and speed in the church of like how things get done seems sometimes to be slow. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah. What's your opinion? Man, dude, I think there's so many issues. Like, I mean, there's so many things that cause that. I mean, one, I mean, I, I like to take a, an approach of like, it's all my fault. You know, I kind of think yeah. this like Jocko Willing kind of like extreme radical responsibility kind of thing. love that book. Love that book. Yeah. Yeah. Very like Gary Vaynerchuk. Like it's all my fault. Right. Um, so I think the first thing is probably for me, uh, probably not being bold enough and speaking up enough, um, <laughs> probably not challenging enough, um, not being holy enough, probably honestly. Um, I think there's a few things. I mean, I think one of the things is, is like we we really are in an interesting structural situation in most parishes if you think about it right like pastors in a lot of dioceses don't stay longer than six years in many dioceses right so imagine a company where the ceo changes every six years 
But then also the employees are doing a ton of things that everyone just kind of feels like, well, this is what we've always done. And it seems like a good thing. Why not keep it going? Yep. Uh, so you kind of die the death of a, of a um, hundred okay programs. Um, yep. I think, you know, Pat Lencioni and the, uh, the amazing parish conference, I think one of the biggest things is a lack of organizational health. Yep. Like we, do, like most pastors, man, I was, man, my first pastor at a previous parish, um, he, he, I remember one time he kind of opened up to me. He said, you know, I haven't taken a, he's like, I've had years and years of philosophy, theology, all this stuff. He's like, and I got into ministry because I wanted to serve the Lord as a priest yep. and to offer the, the sacrifice of the mass and to hear confessions and anoint the sick and really give my life to the Lord. And he said, now I find myself in a situation where I have never had a single class or taken a single lesson on finances, but I'm having to make decisions for basically an organization that's a, that has like a $3 million budget. It's crazy. Yeah. And if you put on top of that, the lack of clarity about what a parish is or should be. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that in America where a lot of bishops are trying to really like define it, like and define it for their priests. What should a parish be? Is a parish where Catholics come just to celebrate the sacraments and like, let's not worry about the rest. Like we're just going to celebrate the sacraments. And if you a Catholic and want to come, like we're going to sacramentalize you or is, does the parish have a more evangelistic role? And I really yeah. think it has a more evangelistic role and it's not just a community uh, for insiders. It's, it has to be a force in the parish boundary. So I think a lot of that is, is you know, is the struggle. We don't have, um, we don't have much organizational health. We don't have pastors that feel strongly that they can make strong choices and decisions and they don't even know how, right? Because they're like, I'm just here to celebrate the mass. Yeah. Uh, I didn't get into this thinking I'm going to be a CEO of a huge, of, of you know, a 3000 person organization. Yeah. It's wild. It's really wild. Yeah, um, nuts, man. I can't like you imagine that. Like it would be completely crazy to me if, if that was just oh here you go. <laughs> it's crazy, man. And I have so much sympathy. Like I'm not. Ne I never get. I have so much sympathy for our priests, man. Because like, and we should pray for them. And I'm not. I mean, even just like whatever. Like the the worst. Like the the priest with the worst reputation. I always just have so much sympathy because. And, and uh, empathy, I should say empathy, right. because man, like, I mean, just 20 years ago to become a priest, like you think of a, a lot of these priests, like get, got their vocation 20, 30, 40 years ago, America and the Catholic church in America was very different, very, yeah. very different. And so, um, I mean, I don't, I don't, um, I don't blame them. You know, I don't blame them. It's just, it's just a different world. Yeah, totally. Now, or for you working in evangelization, I think it can be really unique um, like, I feel like sometimes when I come into the office, people are like, sometimes they're like, well, where, where is Nick all the time or whatever? Cause I'm off yeah. doing youth ministry stuff, doing school visits. Yeah. I'm doing, I'm at sporting events, doing late night things. So you're not seen yeah. in the office. What do you think about, like, give your perspective on that. And for anyone who maybe isn't a, a youth minister or doing this type of work, so they can kind of see that perspective. What do you think about that? Yeah, man, I went through an experience like that at my at my first parish, my first couple of years of youth ministry. Uh, there was a lot of that because I had a very different outlook on what my job was. 
uh, than other people, um, my coworkers and the parishioners. And I think a lot of youth ministers fall into the trap of, or parishioners or pastors fall into the trap of, uh, they think they're hiring a youth minister, the youth minister. Yeah, yeah. And I remember I I stood up in front of um, in front of my very first parent meeting. I stood up in front of all the parents, and the previous youth minister had not been there long, and the parents were kind of upset that he'd only been there two years. So I got at my very first parent meeting six months in. And I said, guys, unfortunately, I have some bad news. Um, I'm quitting as the youth minister. And dude, I swear, some people were going to get up and strangle me. Like, they were, like their mouths open, like, what? You've only been here six months. And I said, fortunately, I'm such a jerk. I was like, fortunately, Father has decided to hire me back on as the director of youth ministry. I said, yeah. raise, your hand, raise your hand of, like, if you interact with a youth, either inside or outside of our church in any way, shape or form. And everyone raised their hand. And I was like, we are all youth ministers. My job is to help the parish do ministry to youth. Right. And so that's a lot. That's not just coming. That's not just, I mean, some people think the youth minister should just hang out on the playground all day or the youth minister yeah. should just be in the schools. But man, your job is really to help the pastor and help the parishioners do ministry to youth. Um, right. So yeah, like there was a lot of, so one, it's like educating people about that and, right. and sharing that. But also, yeah, there was a lot of people that are like, we never see him in the office. Like, what's going on? Where is he? Why? Like, um, he's spending a lot of time with adults, training them in youth ministry. Should, isn't that what he should be doing? Shouldn't he be doing the ministry? Yeah. Um, and there was a point where uh, I had heard some rumors. And so I just decided I literally copied my whole staff, the whole like my staff. And um, I would share with them an Excel spreadsheet of my schedule for the week, every single week. <laughs> and, you know, I think that helps. I mean, if you really are putting in 60 hours a week, like show your staff. If you yeah. really are uh, working on Saturday and Sunday and working six days in a row, even though you're working like nine to one, one day, and then, and then two to 10, another day. And then, you know, like, like just to be transparent with your staff and show them, you know, I think that's the big thing is people just with, when there's a lack of information, they try to fill it. And so I think you just gotta, you just gotta tell people to show people. Um, yeah. So I try to do a lot of like radical transparency like that. Like, Hey, here's everything that's going on. That really helped um, for sure. But it's hard, man. It's, it's really hard. Work-life balance is hard. And there's going to be times in the year where the youth minister has gone for three weeks straight on trips and, and uh, conferences and trainings and all this stuff. And so then there's going to be times of the year where it just seems dead, you know? Um, yep. So, and then I think the other thing is you have to be really, really open and connected with your pastor and really transparent with him. Like, yeah. I feel insecure that you think I don't work hard enough. I feel, you know, uh, when you say you want me in the office, you know, just like be, making sure that your pastor has your back. Yeah. Open communication for sure. <laughs> Hey everybody, it's Nick. Don't go away. We still have a bunch more in this interview with Edmund Mitchell. But I wanted to take a moment to stop and tell you my real passion for this show, The Nick Longo Show. So of course I love doing amazing interviews with people like Edmund, but I also love creative storytelling, just like what I did in episode number four of The Nick Longo Show called To Love and Forgive Our Enemies. 
On this episode, I talk about how Jesus calls us to love and forgive our enemies, and I take myself on a journey learning how we all can actually do that. You'll be right there with me as I call my mom on the phone and I talk to her about what she thinks about this and what's her advice for loving our enemies and forgiving them. You'll be right there when I talk to my wife, Christina, about an experience that she had and I had where I was really hurt by somebody and she was hurt by it too. And as a family member, she had a really hard time forgiving that person in our life. So when you have time, go check out episode number four of the Nick Longo Show to love and forgive our enemies. Let's get back to the interview with Edmund Mitchell. So like you talked about a lot, how much time you you spend doing this and i remember you wrote um i think it was an instagram post or a blog post or something and i loved it you were like i think it started with like time and then you said uh you and your wife had your first kid and you thought you had no time you had your second kid you really thought you had no time third kid time does it even is it a thing and then you like you ended up basically coming to the conclusion of you have to make time talk about how you make time and that post and kind of your thoughts on time. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah, like time is relative, man. Like you, there's a really good book I recommend called uh, the 24 hour day, I think, or I think it's called, uh, oh man, I think it's called, I think it's called living on 24 hours a day. Okay. And uh, it's an old book. Like it was written before this big boom and like how to and self-help books, but it talks about how like we all have 24 hours in a day and you just have to decide how to use it. And uh, yeah, man, like that, that kid effect, right. With the extra kid where you just think, what was I doing with my time? I think, um, yeah, man, I, I don't know. I think, I think it's not as hard as people think, you know, like you make sacrifices and you make, you make time. And, you know, when you look at one person you go, how do they have time to do all those things? Like, you just can't be judgmental because they might really, really love doing things that you don't like doing, you know, yeah. and that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. And if, you know, this is why I'm a huge Gary Vanderchuk fan is because he's all about like, look, if you're happy, like watching Game of Thrones for four hours a day, then that's fine. That's fine. You know, good for you. And some people, yeah, some people are operate totally differently, you know? And so, yeah, I think the whole, I don't have enough time thing is really just an excuse. I really figured that out. That was really another example is, and every year when this happens, right, the clocks get set back an hour <laughs> and everyone shows up like 50 minutes early for math. Yep. And it's like, it's like, come on. Like if that is just a, like, it's proof that it's just a mindset, right? Yep. If you're always 10 minutes late and then the, and then the clock changes and suddenly you're 50 minutes early it's like, that just proves to you, it's just a mindset. It's just something you're like, I reached a point where I was getting, I was late to a lot of stuff. I was always late, not good with my calendar, all this stuff. And I kind of had that realization where I'm like, okay, this is all my fault. And if I just reset and recalibrate to, I am late, if I'm not 10 minutes early, then it'll be fine. And I just started taking that radical responsibility. Like I can find more time. I can make this work. Um, <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, you know, and you, yeah. you don't, yeah. And you don't like, I'm not saying, you know, we should have this hustler mindset, but like, if you really love doing stuff, 
you can, you can uh, take more ownership and go, you know, I can make stuff happen. I can make it happen. I can make time. I'm, I'm always trying to think like, what if I had one more kid? What if my daughter, you know, like needed chemotherapy, we would make time. We would make time. So it's a priority thing and less of a time thing. Totally. Totally. So what does that look like for you on a regular basis? Like how, what are your habits? What's your day for doing all the work in evangelization at the parish and all the work online and the stuff that you have hobbies in? Um, I mean, I'm really fortunate for a few different reasons. One is I have an amazing wife. She's great. She's like intimidatingly competent, right? And we just have a, we've figured out over seven years of marriage, like a really good balance of just how we operate. And I have, I have ups and downs, you know, I have times where I'm very, very manic and all over the place and new things. And and then I have periods of time where I need a lot of alone time. And um, it, you know, it's just, it just ebbs and flows in seasons. The other thing is like social media makes with the ability to schedule stuff, social media makes it look like I'm constantly doing stuff when a lot of times it could just be, it could just be um, a Saturday morning where I woke up at six and from six to, to 10, I did a ton of stuff and then just scheduled it all out, you know, and then yep. didn't do any stuff for two or three weeks, you know? Yep. Um, so we've just found, and I, I just, uh, everything's real crazy. Like, as you know, parish work is real crazy. There are some things that are pretty consistent every Monday morning. We have a department meeting um, once a month. We have our larger staff meeting you know, every Thursday at two, we have team prayer. Um, so there's some things that are consistent, but it's real all over the place. I think that's just how I'm wired. I need, I need things to be new and different every day. And I need the freedom to kind of like move things around, but, you know, trying to hit, trying to hit normal things, like trying to be home for dinner, trying to be uh, home for bedtime and prayer, um, trying to take at least one full day where there's no phone, no other projects, no, not just family time and just nothing time. Um, but it's always changing, man. And I'm always there, there, like at least two or three times a month, I sit down with a notebook and write out like, how can I make my daily pattern and routine better? Where can I cut stuff out? Where, what, like, what if I tried starting at a time? One minute exercise here. What if you know? Um, I think that's just something you just got to get here. You want to be in the next year, two years, three years, ten years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so tell me about the show with Edmund Mitchell and everything you got going on there, and this new studio you're sitting in right now. Tell me all about it. Um, okay, so you know, I don't know. I've always dabbled with business endeavors and also making stuff on the internet and blogging and videos and podcasts, you know, I've always dabbled in that stuff. And I got to a point where, and maybe you've experienced this where, you know, I felt like I had something to say about ministry, but it was a drag a lot of times, like working a ton of hours and then coming home and doing more stuff about ministry. So I was like, man, like that's not working a hundred percent. I just needed to find out a different relationship with that. And so then I just thought, you know what? I love talking to people. I love having a platform or a place where I can experiment. I really like in-person kind of going back and forth. And so I just thought, what is something that, what is like a podcast or something I can do? And I just know that I'm going to do it for the next 10 years, right? Like I just know I'm going to 
show up every week and just do this thing. And it's not going to have an angle. I'm not going to try to teach anybody. It's just a space for me to be creative and do whatever I want with it. And that was when this idea, because in the past, I've just been too precious with ideas before. Like, oh, it needs to be the catechism. It needs to be this. It needs to be. Yep. And so I was like, all right, I'm just going to force myself to call it something very generic. And it's just going to be the show. And it's yep. my excuse to get on people I find interesting and, and to do it the way I want to do it and to talk about the things I want to talk about and to just be free to be creative and not, it doesn't have to be ministry. It doesn't have to be whatever. Um, so we started the show that way and did a lot of over Skype interviews like this. And then somewhere along the lines, we kind of tr- switched over. I kind of challenged myself, like, what if we just did in-person interviews and did video? And then that kind of took off. And then again, trying to be more efficient with my time, I was doing everything. I was doing the video editing. I was doing the graphic design. I was doing everything. So I started, I had a lot of Catholic creative friends that were gifted in video editing, graphic design, all this stuff. So I started, you know, hiring them to do some of it. And it just, every now and then it was like, someone would pay me to do something. And then I would use that money to pay other people to free up more of my time. And then the more I did that, the more other people were like, we really like what you're building, can you help us with certain things and brand strategy or marketing or all these different things? And so it just kind of has gone back and forth like that, where it's kind of gotten bigger and bigger. And um, so then it got to the point where it was like, man, if we weren't doing all this in my dining room, then I could hire more of my friends to produce other people's shows. And then that would fund the shows that I want to make. And I'm employing my friends who are creative and but I get to do my own stuff and I get to help people with their shows. And so it just kind of turned into what if we had a space where we could produce people's shows and help people with their stuff to help multiply someone's mission and their message. Um, and so that's kind of what we're doing now is we got into this space and we're hoping that, that that's what we can do. And so um, building teams um, around these different shows to kind of produce them and, that's the plan, man. It's just to have this kind of creative space where we can put other people on and kind of, you know, have different events and, and projects here, you know, instead of in my dining room. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I think one of the things you said that really connected to me was how you used to have, like, you put this preciousness on all your ideas. And that's something Gary Vee always talks about with not judging yourself and the stuff you're putting out there. And that yeah. was a realization I had to have recently which kind of led to me just kind of starting this up was I have to just care less about having every little detail be perfect. I remember, I remember seeing you do the show and have the stuff in your dining room, but I didn't know it was your dining room. And so I'm like, Christina, my wife, right? I'm like, Christina, we, we need to like clear out one of the spaces and I need to make a space. That's uh, clearly Edmund's doing this. Yeah, and she, yeah, yeah. she was like, she was like, Nick, I don't think we could do that. I don't think we can do it. I was like, come on, come on, we should do it. And then, and then you post like, this is our dining room recently. And I was like, Christina, it, it was his dining room all along. <laughs> and she died. She was like, see, Nick, I, I'm right. I'm like, you, you win. You're right. <laughs> Dude, a lot of it. I mean, it, it's just, you know, yeah, you got to be patient because it looks like, oh my gosh, how could I ever get to a place where you have a space and all that stuff. But man, it was just like incremental you know, it's like, that's what's fun is like, how do I make this just a little bit better this week? And man, right. dude, I mean, a lot of, I mean, the show literally started using the anchor app and with my phone and just calling my mom and, and just talking to her. Right. Like it just was, and then it turned into like then Skyping people. And, and so, um, yeah, man, it's just, it's just, if you feel like you're 
if you love that, if you love that process of communicating and experimenting, being creative, whatever that is, um, then just do it. You know, I remember Connor Flanagan talking about his career as a musician. He was like, if one person shows up and I get to do my music for one person, I've made it. And so, and this is why I resonate so much with Gary Vee is like, you got to love the process, man. It's not like you're, you're waiting until one day you make it like you have made it. If one person cares about the stuff you're saying online, like then, then you've made it. And if that's what you love is kind of putting stuff out and interacting with other people. I mean, I said at one point, um, I like making stuff for people I care about. And I really think that's just whatever that is. I, I like, I've been really weird about, I'm not necessarily a writer or a speaker or a, I just like the process of making stuff. I don't know. It's just fun. And when you start thinking that way, much more open-mindedly about it, like I just make stuff and I just talk to people. Um, then it's, you're, you're, yeah, you're less hard on yourself. They're like, all right, just, what am I going to make today? What am I going to do today? What am I going to talk about? What am I interested in? And those are the people I really resonate with. Yeah. The people that are doing that. Totally. And I think that it's an awesome honest witness to people who see your stuff or listen or whatever, because then they can see that and they can say, Oh, well I can do it too. Like I, I just, yeah. just, just go live your life and share it with people. And that can make a difference. A hundred percent. I think that's, I think that's the strength of the internet is that I think you already know this, but like um, a lot of people are really precious on the internet because they're thinking about a world where you only had, 10 minutes of fame ever on television. Yeah. And so like, if you only get 10 minutes on the, on television, that's how you're going to be remembered forever for the rest of your life. So you only get 10 minutes or you only get a couple minutes on the Carson show or whatever. And that's it. But now in a world where you can put stuff out all the time, it's more just like interacting with your friends. Like you don't worry yeah. about, you're not freaking out about how you're going to text your friend because you know that you have other opportunities to talk to them. Yep. And so, and, and you can find a much more, complex uh you can connect with people that are much more complex and different and nuanced on different levels this is why i love the joe rogan podcast because you can have a three-hour conversation with sam harris instead of a five-minute clip right and so then you're much more interested like wow yeah these are complicated people and i I, it it builds much more empathy and that's what i think is really interesting about the internet is seeing people be really complicated and not just like here's my 10-minute spiel on what it means to be the perfect Catholic, you know, and it's like, well, I just want to know more about you and what you're interested in, you know? Yeah, totally. Just people relate to that for sure. Well, this is awesome. This has been awesome. So to close out two things I want to ask you first, yeah, what are some books to take away with? Cause I, I love books. My house yeah. is crazy and my wife yeah, yeah. really doesn't like my spending habits on books, but what are the books yeah. that you'd suggest? Okay, for like, well, let's say related to what we've been talking about, I would highly recommend The War of Art. It's a short read. Have you heard of this book? No. Oh, man. Required reading for most people, I mean, most ministers and also people like us making stuff, right? Like you're a podcaster making stuff online. The War of Art talks about the battle with resistance and how to trick your mind into breaking through that resistance we all have to making stuff. But highly recommend that. And then the second book I would really recommend that I'm really been digging that I've been digging a lot recently um, is Introduction to Christianity by Pope Benedict. Um, man, I just feel like 
when I'm tempted, when I'm jaded by the church or I'm jaded by ministry or I'm tempted, just I'm struggling to disbelieve or I'm just struggling with how do I be a Christian in the modern world and how do I not fake it? You right. know, uh, Benedict always keeps me Christian, man. He always keeps me like in a relationship with God. So um, that book really, especially the first chapter on belief in the modern world, disbelief and belief and doubt and how we relate to all those that one man i like pray with it i like i've been reading the first chapter just over and over and over again um the past couple weeks so those are two i would highly recommend that's awesome very cool so if you were to choose if you got to choose Emma Mitchell. Are you going to pick one of my kids? Are you going to pick my favorite child? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. If you had to choose, you are going to be the patron saint of what? Oh, man. What would you be the patron saint of? Oh, what a good question. It's a hard one. It's really. Oh, hard. man, that is a good question. Um, man, I, I can't think of a non cheesy way to say this. I can't think of a cheat. I can't think of a non like sounding really just cheesy and milk toast, but <clears throat> <laughs> milk toast. What is milk toast? I love yeah, it. <laughs> like, uh, okay. It's going to sound so lame and cheesy. I would love to be the patron saint of the heart. The patron the saint of the heart. I like it. But seriously, I think, I think, um, heart yeah, speaks man, to heart, dude. man. Yeah, dude, <laughs> you right. know me. You yeah. know me. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I wish that would be cool. That would be cool. So, not the sacred heart. I mean, I'm like, yeah, definitely the sacred heart, but like the patron saint of just the human and, and, and Jesus's heart. I don't know. Something like that. Speaking from the heart and living from the heart and, um, yeah, you should look up uh, Hildebrand's whole work on the heart. Uh, it's yeah. really interesting. That's cool. I love it, man. That's great. What, well, you? what would you pick? This, see, now, I just thought, I was like, he's going to ask it. See, <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to sound terrible comparison to Patron Saint of the Heart. Um, my, my answer for this question has so far always been the Patron Saint of Snapchat. Because <laughs> I... <laughs> I love Snapchat. Dude, you <laughs> caught me in a very – well, you caught me in a very, like, like, uh, like contemplative mo- mood, right? Like, I probably, like, you know, in a different – if I was in a different attitude or something, yeah, I would have said something like the patron saint of, of swearing or I don't know. I would have said something uh, less <laughs> yeah. serious. But no, I love cool, it. man. So you're pretty hard on Snapchat. You're, you're on there a lot. I love it. I've – throughout, like, my career, I've dove into – like utilizing Snapchat to yeah. evangelize sometimes to young people that I'm serving. So one of the things I did, Oh, sorry, keep going. Go. One, one of the things I did that I loved was, so everyone's complaining, Oh, they're always on Snapchat. I'm like, let's actually evangelize to them there. So I yeah, went, I taught there. I taught myself lens studio and how to like make the, the like AR effects on Snapchat. And I created a stations of the cross, like that you could walk with. And what? I get, we did a whole Lenten night last year, actually, on Station of the Cross, where you could just, walking through, here's first station, 
and it was Dude, so that sweet. That is amazing. It did, was awesome. Do other people know about this? Like, did someone do an article about this thing, or like, how do can no. other people access it, or is it just local yeah. to you? Oh, I can send it to you. We could put it in the show notes the link to it. Like, other people can pull it up on Snapchat right now. Yeah, but you you need the link to the to the, the lens. lens or like that the snap is so code. freaking cool dude you gotta you gotta like make a video or a podcast or something about that that is so cool yeah i want so i i made like the first station because we did a night on the first yeah. station and i like put the snap code on a piece of paper every kid got one as they came in and i was like tonight we're diving that into the first so cool. first nation the first station and they all snapped it and then just prayed with it shared it with their friends and it was awesome it was so sweet that is so freaking cool Dude, way back in the day when Snapchat first started popping, uh, we did, um, we paid to do a, a um, what are they called? The geo filters? Yeah. Yep. And we would do it anytime there was a Steubenville conference, we would pay for the three days to make a custom, our yep. youth ministries like geo filter for yep. just around the conference center. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and then the first year, uh, Steubenville did no geo filters and we did it. Then the second year, they made sure to make sure they had a geo filter as well. Because it's just, you can see all these kids Snapchatting Steubenville, this conference, but then it says like, St. Francis Grapevine Young Church, you know? And yep. like, oh man, this is so fun. I love doing stuff like that. I recently made a um, Instagram AR, those like game, right? Was it What and, Pope uh, Was You? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I saw it that. just keeps getting rejected. It keeps getting rejected oh. for having too much text. What? I, I, Apparently, apparently they do this and you just have to keep submitting it until they, until it gets through. Dang. So weird. That's so yeah. weird. I did a similar thing with, I left. So I'm originally from Syracuse, New York now in Vancouver, Washington, West coast, East coast, West coast. Yeah. And I yeah. left a job where I ran a theology on tap program with like mm -hmm. 80 young adults from Syracuse. And so I, it's always the third Thursday of the month in Syracuse and at this one location. So I created geo filter that was like, Nick says, hi after I'd left the position and put it there for that one thing. And then people were calling That's me like, awesome. uh, did you put a geo filter at theology? Like, yeah, man. Just, I wanted Dude, to still be there. So awesome. I love <laughs> stuff like that. I love so like, funny. getting first to that stuff and just hacking it. And it's so funny. Are you on TikTok at all? I did just start a TikTok. There's a lot of stuff of my daughter and how cute she is there. Um, I think I have <laughs> six, yeah, six TikToks of my daughter, Eden. Yep. Dude, TikTok is fun, man. It sucks you in. And like, I'm hearing more, you know, more and more like 20, 30, 40 year olds that are like, why am I spending three hours on TikTok? My wife, it's sends addictive. Me, like yesterday, she sent me like 10 different videos over the course of the day of just TikTok. It's like, what is it? And some of the funniest, funniest, like, fun, so like, people, hilarious. People are really funny. People are very, very funny. It's so fun. It is. I love it. It's so, it is so fun. It's a good time. That's super cool, man. Well, dude, I've really, I, like, it's been fun being on here with you. So yeah, thanks a lot fun. for inviting me on. Yeah, thank you for coming on. It's been awesome having you. And just like I, like I said in the beginning, thank you so much for doing what you do because I think it's, it's really inspired me. And maybe this wouldn't be happening without the, the show with Edmund Mitchell. So, so. Dude, that means, a, that means a lot, man. That's a huge compliment. Next time you're in, a, you're in Grapevine, you got to come by and we'll do it again in person. Yeah, man, for sure. I love Sweet. it. Awesome. Sweet, all right, everybody. So go and check out the show with Edmund Mitchell and you can find it anywhere podcasts are and on YouTube, right? Yeah. YouTube. Just search the show. Uh, just search my name. Just search the, my name on YouTube. 
or search the show with Edmund Mitchell on YouTube. Yeah. And Facebook. It's on Facebook on a Facebook page too. Sweet. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show, man. Thanks, Nick. Big thank you to everybody for tuning into this episode of the Nick Longo Show. Again, a huge thank you to Edmund Mitchell for being on the show as a guest. If you haven't heard of Edmund before, if you haven't listened to or watched the show with Edmund Mitchell, go and check that out now. Subscribe, leave him a review. Just go and follow everything he's doing. His online stuff is great. If you like this show, be sure to subscribe. Get new episodes every single Friday. Write a review and share with a friend. It really helps people find the show. Today's music was produced by Henyeo, and the outro music for today was produced, as always, by The Passion Hi-Fi. Thanks so much again for listening, and we'll see you on another episode of The Nick Longo Show.